0: attention architects, and creative minds. Get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles, at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you.
1: It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis.
0: Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together.
1: Context and Clarity has been called a community-based, pro-practice masterclass for architects. It's awfully high praise, but since we began this journey back in April of 2020, we've certainly grown into a community of small firm architects, all focused on what matters most to their success. And by the way, it doesn't matter if you're the employee of a firm that's dreaming of going out on your own, or you've owned your own firm for 26 years. There's something here for everyone. And that's where you come in. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Context and Clarity Podcast. Every week, we have a conversation with an expert or a thought leader on things that matter most to the success of architects just like you. Then we go backstage with someone from our community and we talk about what we learned, what our biggest takeaways were, and how we're going to apply what we heard to our own businesses. I think you'll enjoy both the expert insights and our practical takeaways. Oh, you may start listening and think, I'd really like to hear the entire conversation with this guest. All you need to do is head on over to the Entree Architect YouTube channel. There's a playlist there that has this and all of the full Context and Clarity Live episodes. In this episode, we talked to Jennifer Kastenson. She's the vice president of ambassador and partner programs at Build Exact. Jennifer has built a career around innovation in design and construction, and in this conversation, you'll hear that she believes that just being an architect focusing on architecture isn't good enough anymore. She talks a lot about collaboration while innovating where you have deep expertise. As I say that, it may sound contradictory, but much of our conversation reminded me of the idea of the adjacent possible as Stephen Johnson explains it in his book Where Good Ideas Come From, The Natural History of Innovation. For this episode, our backstage guests are Mandy Freeland and Hans Bro. Mandy is the CEO and Principal Architect at Mandy Freeland Architect in Bakersfield, California. She's also the Vice President of the Academy for Emerging Professionals for AIA California. Hans is the founder and co-owner of Project Co-op, a community-based architecture firm in Portland, Maine, and he's also adjunct faculty at the University of Maine at Augusta. I'm curious to hear their takeaways. So let's go backstage and listen in as my co-host, Catherine McPhail, Mandy, Hans, and I talk about our conversation with Jennifer Kastensen. I'm always intrigued by the things that she has learned, the things that she knows, the things that she talks about. what do you think about it?
3: One of the biggest takeaways that I had is something she said earlier, um, something that you were talking to her about, but she said, The way to innovation is to create a place for people to share.
4: The key is sharing and transparency, because the more you share, the more comes back to you. I've worked with several people who are willing to just be open books and share the innovation that they have. And it's amazing to me the kind of snowball effect of that and how many other people are able to jump in and offer their services. They all of a sudden have manufacturers who want to be part of a pilot project, who want to layer in and, you know, write a white paper. And I've seen that happen in several different capacities over the past eight years. I like the idea
3: that you bring people together. You bring, you bring people together and you, you just kind of talk and share, share what works for you, share what doesn't work for you. Everything that we're doing with Entree Architect is just that. And I, I'm a strong advocate of that, of sharing and learning from each other. That was one of the biggest takeaways that I got is just bring the people together and solve the problems together and then move forward together.
5: Yeah, that's a really interesting thing. I was actually just having a conversation a couple of weeks ago in a space provided by AIA Maine of young, new firm founders. And one of the things we discussed was there seems to be somewhat of a generational shift amongst younger designers to want to be more, I'll, I call it open source, but just sort of, you know, not protective of, of what we're learning, what we all need to know to to be effective in our roles. And so having a space where we can all sort of not worry about proprietary information, just like, hey, let's all be great architects and and, you know, kind of have, do the best work collectively rather than each individually trying to figure out how to do things well. I mean, I think is what gets you there. And, and I, I, I hesitate to call that innovation. I, I think it's just basically learning what's already under the sun. And if you're exposed to more of that and can apply that appropriately, maybe for you, it's in a new way. Maybe it seems innovative. Um, it's, it's still a better way. So that's, so one of my big takeaways, which touches on that was, um, and I, I'm sort of paraphrasing, but avoiding innovation for innovation's sake, the idea of not introducing complexity where it doesn't need to be but looking for my interpretation of that is looking for opportunities to think critically about how you do something and then you know well is there a better way and how do you know if there's a better way well in an open source kind of sharing place you can just sort of ask someone hey i'm struggling with this how do you approach it you know it's almost like being able to have an in-person google that is a little smarter (laughs) to give you answers but that that's really powerful um to have a quick fast access to alternative ways of doing things or alternative information than what you can just kind of come up with on your own, sitting by yourself. So,
1: You know what you just touched on the, I'll, I'll evolve it a little bit and say complexity for complexity's sake. And well, I mean, maybe, maybe that's not actually accurate. Maybe we don't have a lot of complexity for complexity's sake. We just have a lot of complexity that doesn't need to be there. That's a complaint that I hear a lot you know sometimes it's about codes sometimes it's about processes sometimes it's about your workflow in your office you know there's there's all different uh, all different layers and levels of that but i think i think that's a great takeaway
2: she mentioned at one point that she said that architects don't concentrate on architecture anymore
4: what you said just kind of struck a chord with me which is architects who focus on architecture which I don't think it exists anymore. I think architects and builders, I mean, even contractors, but everyone is now required to have key competency in the local policy in health and wellness and codes and sustainability and resiliency and many other things, which for me, You know, I I had that awesome job at Zonda and I was presented with an opportunity to go to BuildExact, which is a project management software. And now I'm really excited to use that as a tool to help the architects and builders take away some of those responsibilities and kind of de-risk the process and be able to give them the opportunity not to have to be experts in those areas like architects focus on architecture and have the builders focus on building and use the software as a service or a tool that they can then they can innovate in, in the areas where they're where they have the expertise
5: part of where you get there and part of what i think of as good innovation is as really thinking about the why what's the, the goal what's the, the reasons what's the rationale yeah, every decision we make has such massive implications on all sorts of things. We need to have a position on sustainability or some of the political implications, the economic implications, the public health implications, the societal stuff, you know, urban issues and all that. Um, we need to have a more sophisticated perspective on those things and understand how those things affect, you know the, the reality of what we do as architects, but there's all this sort of bigger bigger thing. And I think innovation is probably the nexus or the intersection of really understanding, more deeply rather than a real surface of more deeply some of these issues that what we do you know how these things can things we do affect these larger issues and then seeing where we can you know do this what we do more directly better to make these other things that get affected in a, um, a more real way i mean we've seen I've seen this happen poorly in a lot of iterations of architectural styles and things like that, like big glass skyscrapers. And it's like, that. yeah, okay, that was neat, but that didn't solve my problems and create all these other problems, you know, because it just like took one thing and stayed hyper-focused. And I think, you know, innovation is just is someone who really knows our craft and then also really understanding where it intersects with other things.
1: Somebody mentioned this on Clubhouse this morning. It might have been Ryan Shoup. Talked about the idea of... Innovation versus efficiency and expertise. So, whether it's skyscrapers or whether it's net zero, passive house, or straw bale, or you know, whatever, whatever the thing is, does innovation happen more likely in a very narrow space, like in a in a niche space? Uh, I I think that's that's kind of an interesting. I, I mentioned this this book. I'll mention it again, Um, where do good ideas come from the natural history of, of innovation. And one of the things that really fascinated me about that book is, you know, there's all kinds of stories in there about all this innovation over time. And, you know, you've got these science scientists that discovered this little thing, whatever that little thing is. And then 15 years down the road, there's a, what we see as a, a big innovation by some other scientists, but it was really just small iterations off of this other. And at some point they rub together is I think one way he describes the author describes it. And so, you know, you get this very narrow expertise and this other very narrow expertise and at some point they got up close enough to each other that that was the idea that we needed, right? That piece of that, I'm going to plug it in over here. Th- that kind of thing fascinates me. But but back to, you know, like you were saying, Mandy, uh, takeaway of environments for innovation. You know, so maybe it's welcome to the uh, Entree Architect Innovation Lab. <laughs> it's, maybe that's what we've got going on here.
3: I think this next generation of professionals is a little more open-minded and might have a little more moxie in not accepting the ways that the practice has been going the whole time. And I think we're a little bit ready to make up the rules ourselves (laughs) and to see what happens. And we're a little less scared of the risk. And we're a little more open to to see what happens and what the results are and and to take the chance. And I love that. I love that about this next generation that feels like the people that I've worked with before in firms sort of always went back and leaned on the idea that We do this because this is the way that I was taught to do this. And this is the way that it has worked for decades. And so we don't change it, but for us to get our license and go out and and open our firms and try everything that we were told couldn't work, that's innovation right there. This right now is innovation. Like what this next generation of architects are doing right now is incredible and it's not just you know stick to the same practice model of being an architecture firm maybe it's inviting um engineers in as staff people like an A&E maybe it's design build maybe it's all of it maybe some projects are A&E some projects are design build you know we can do whatever we want to and we can try it and and i think we're brave enough to just to just go and and see what works
1: i'm glad you said that because i at the beginning, I mentioned last week on Context and Clarity Live, we had Michael E. Gerber, who's the author or, co- or co-author of the emyth franchise of books. There's something like 20 of them, 24 of them, something like that. And one thing that he did last week when we were talking about him was he challenged us all to think about the future of the business of architecture, think about the future of the profession and and not necessarily in terms of the software and things like that, but the vision. And that that's one of the things. And we've had some interesting responses to that conversation with Michael Gerber last week. And for those that haven't read the book, and there are a lot that haven't, I understand why. Um, you've probably heard a lot about that book and think you've heard almost everything that's in it. But I think one of the things that's not shared very much, I hear a lot of people talking about well, emyth talks about systems and putting systems into your business, and he talks about McDonald's and franchising and all this. That's the second half of the emyth process or the, the emith solution. The first half is exactly what you're talking about, Mandy. It's it's that visioning piece of it. It's thinking differently about how we serve, about what the solution is, what the product is. Um, I've never heard him say say it this way, but he almost advocates for a purpose-driven business model. He never he never goes that far, but that's what he's talking about. That's what he's explaining. And so that's I'm with you. That gives me hope that there are people starting their firms, right? I think that's that's sort of the the key right there that are looking and going, yeah, this may be the way we've always done it or the way that you've always done it but you're complaining about it a lot. (laughs) Is it really working uh, as well as it should be? Maybe there's a different way, or maybe there's a better way.
2: I've been hearing a lot lately about the whole idea that the older generation, like let's say the boomer generation, in the past, older generations would pass on their knowledge and their way of doing things to the, the generations that come, but we're not in the same world anymore. So the architects who practice like a generation before me were in a totally different their world looked totally totally different in terms of being able to be connected to people like this whole situation we're in right this very moment and on zoom i mean this would be I mean, you can imagine this in the early 90s even that no that wasn't going to happen so i mean the fact that we have all this other way of of really doing things is pretty exciting And so we hopefully are going to be taking advantage of this and changing our practices based on what we can do now where they couldn't before with just the, you know, the Borco and the the Mayline and the lettering machine, you know, that was yeah. pretty isolated and you just saw the guy's friend from down the street. And that was pretty much the only other architect. I mean, I ever saw when I was working in my first job.
1: Unfortunately, we're also seeing the result of lack of innovation. You know, I just heard the other day about a firm here in Indianapolis where I am and at the beginning of March of 2020, they, like other firms said, there's no way, right? There's no way we can work remotely. It's it's too collaborative a process. We've got to be in the office, all those things. And guess what happened, right? sounds like they're closing their doors. And I think the last 20 months has been an incredible illustration of a lot of things. And I think it's one of the, one of those illustrations is people that did not innovate are really, really suffering. Uh, and, and you can take that in any context at any sort of level that you want to, but trying to stay the same when there's a global pandemic roaring through, whether it's your personal life or your professional life or your business or whatever has, I think, really paid a price. Um, so that's, you know, the cautionary tale, I suppose. Really extreme example, we hope, but I think that's, that's the tale.
2: If there's any good thing about this whole pandemic, it was that we were all forced to innovate based on what we could do. And then it turns out things like watching kids put on a play over Zoom or just all the things that humans adapted to when we figured out how we could still be together and, and um, still go to plays by, you know, they go to London now. You can watch the Globe Theater was having their stuff on. And so there were so many new things that came out that I that was, I think, a pretty exciting outcome.
5: We're talking about in, uh, using the word innovation but I, I almost, especially in our last comments you made, Jeff, I mean, it's really just adaptation, right? It's like we're looking at a context and like, what's the right way, what's a, a good way of approaching this context or, or working this way. And and I I, I like that because I think innovation carries some connotations to me that I don't necessarily always like, because it just, it feels innovation for innovation's sake sort of thing when I think of it as adaptation, it makes a lot more sense. And when you think about adaptation, I think about, well, you're you're probably just adapting, say, just to one thing. You're not sort of adapting everything at once. You sort of, when I think about getting, making things simpler, it's almost like we're decreasing our workload. It's like, let's not just innovate everything. Like, what's the question? What do we really need to do? Not do more than that. Don't overcomplicate that. Don't sort of make things too, onerous I think part of being able to innovate well or adapt well is by asking the right questions and really kind of drilling down and understanding what the issue at hand is and um, isn't necessarily just trying something new it's more like really getting to deep understanding I mean I just think of all my adaptations innovations I'm looking for like I want everything to just be easier you know, whatever it is it has to just make life easier like it, otherwise it's going the wrong direction whatever the solution is
3: when we talk about innovation we can talk about what we do in our practice and how we evolve and change things and adapt as a practice and as a profession but as a business what is sort of an elephant in the room is the clients if you're not getting the clients to buy into it then you can't you have something that's worthless so there there always needs to be a connection like So when we do talk about going beyond the profession of architecture and integrating social impacts and community, how we're going to affect the community and make the world a better place. But you're hired to do, you know, small commercial projects based on a very small budget or something because your client's priorities are to keep, you know, say the budget as, as tight as possible. Then you're kind of like stuck in a way. You want to make an impact. You want to be innovative. You want to be a better professional. So I think we need to also spend time not just on improving and innovating our profession, us internally, but also getting the clients on board (laughs) and teaching them the reasons why. So part of the process is this is why, you know, a lot of it comes down to money. You're going to save money this way, or you're going to attract Your demographic, you know, say you're doing a retail center or something, you're going to attract your demographic in a better way by doing things this way or something instead of just meeting them where they want to be, but elevate them too.
1: To me, what you're talking about is relevance. This is one of my favorite topics to speak on because one of the things that may hurt to admit is that we don't get to decide what is relevant. We don't get to decide what relevance is. And so, um, you know, when we ask that question, how can architects remain relevant? Well, the answer is in the eye of the beholder, right? It's, It's what our clients think. Now, just like you said, that doesn't mean, you know, if they want cost savings or whatever it is that they want, or they think they want, we need to ask, we need to find out from them, what is relevant and then respond to that right which is what you're saying there if the profession is going to remain relevant and i think you know especially in the small firm and residential realm you know that's that's probably a bigger struggle we really need to be having the conversations and we really need to be building community around our clients understand what's relevant and figure out relevant to them and figure out the message, figure out the response to that so that we can keep those open lines of communication and, and not even stay relevant, I think become more relevant. I think we, I think we've already lost at this point in a lot of sectors.
5: Yeah. My understanding of the profession is, you know, long before I was involved in architecture over the last, I don't know, 75 years, the role of an architect society is it's really, changed and is seen as less relevant and less as a, a leading force of, of what the built environment should be. And I think we are kind of have that sort of identity crisis of, of trying to understand and, and how to to act in a way that we see as really important. I mean, I'll just use sustainability and you know environmental concerns. Those are really obvious things that we need to incorporate in all of our all of our work, but um, just as you're saying, many not every client that considers that relevant and wants to wants to pay for it. And that conversation, I've had that conversation with a lot of folks up here. And the way people are trending right now is we just do it. We don't even talk about it. It's like this is how buildings are built. And and it, you know, if maybe someone will ask your client will ask, well, why is there so much insulation? And then you'll have a conversation. But if they don't, then you know that you as a professional or we as professionals design what we know is, is a better building that fulfills the client's needs but also has these other societal or, or larger ideas that go in with it and i think it's it's multi prong. it's like there's there's doing the projects and there's also involvement in the larger conversations that are driving demand and in the market and you know maybe that's um you know i i'm involved in some passive house stuff and Maine, some nonprofits try to make that the minimum building standard and not everyone is an architect and understands that stuff. But when architects get in those spaces and can start to talk about what are really important things that move the needle, it's there. So I think there's a, there's a, a role in society we need to play that isn't just what we do that our clients allow us to do and give us money to do. And I think that helps ultimately circles back to, to influence what clients ask us to do if we're able to sort of change the, the zeitgeist of what people
1: want. The hard truth is it's going to keep getting harder. Right. With all the technology, the changes in the speed of change. I think it continues to get harder. And you look out at business models and professions that have essentially gone away. Think of travel agents and and others that, oh well, you know, technology is never gonna, yeah. You know, <laughs> guess what? I've got the Tripit app on my on my phone and it's got all my information for my flights next week. Right. And I didn't talk to a single travel agent, you know, there, that kind of pressure I think is, is just going to keep increasing. So I think there is this paradox as well as architects and architecture transcend technology, right? So these relationships with humans and the relationship between architect and, and owner relationship between architecture and inhabitants. I think that's the hope, right? But it, it's, I think it's always going to be assaulted by whatever the next, next technology is, whatever the next advancement is. And I think you're exactly right. Having those conversations about why this is important or why there is so much insulation or why, whatever, right? I, I, for a lot of us, those are the things that we don't want to do. Oh, I don't want to talk to people, right? I want to be an introvert. I want to draw. I want to design. I don't want to talk to people. But I think I think that's going to be a real key. How do we communicate this value and this relevance and this new discovery, this new innovation, this new adaptation, whatever it is? So Hans, how, what are you going to take from this today? How are you going to apply it to your practice? Do you know?
5: Well, I, I definitely already was in, had a lot of agreement with the attitude of innovation, the attitude of, of, of adaptation. Um, I think it clarified some things that were good takeaways. And one is sort of going towards simplification, making things easier and really making that a stated goal for everything, um, how the business operates, how the designs operate, how everything operates.
4: As an industry, we keep layering on complication what's innovative is trying to be simple (laughs) trying to take out some of that complexity i mean that's in really needs to happen in order to get more of the housing supply that we need and to make it more affordable which are just critical issues today and another critical issue is the extreme weather events we're having and how do we respond to that? We have to be innovative.
5: I think eliminating unnecessary complication is so important so we can focus on the things that are really critical. I mean, we're just, we just can't, our brains can't handle as much complications as I think happens in architecture. And sometimes we're just prone to it. And so I think as an attitude, I'm, I think I'm going to be more conscious of that and <laughs> all my decision-making.
1: For me, that's a huge one. I can always count on when I start to struggle with something, it's because I'm, I'm allowing myself or I'm even pushing myself in different directions and into complications. So I, I, I love that one. Mandy, what, what do you think you're going to take from this and apply to your business?
3: The thing that hit home, the, the most for me was when she said, create the space for the people to talk and the people to get together. And it's not just the younger generation with all the ideas, but it's the, all of the generations all together learning from each other and, you know, learning as mentors, apprenticing the younger generation. We, I think we lost that when we need to bring it back because there are efficiencies in the older, you know, the past ways of doing things that maybe we do overcomplicate now that we could learn from the older generations, how they did things better or faster, instead of just thinking, you know, everything new tech is the answer. That's not always the answer. Sometimes managing a project on with paper and pencil is better and faster than using the new program that's out.
5: Yeah, Mandy, you mentioned something that just made me think like, you know, with every problem, there's, there's sort of a bunch of different solutions, right? And some of them involve new technology that someone wants to sell you. And some of them involve like a really simple thing that's been, was figured out maybe, you know, the last 200 years in construction, there's a lot of things like this. And sometimes even the innovative choice might be the simpler thing that already exists. It's just sort of applying it in in the right way, you know? So new, new, isn't the same thing as innovation, I guess, is, is what I.
3: Exactly. Yes.
1: Yeah. I think that's an important, really important point. Catherine, what are you taking from this? What are you going to apply to your work?
2: Well, kind of similar to what Mandy said, I mean, very similar to what Mandy said at the end, uh, Jennifer said, one of her tips was don't isolate yourself. So, I mean, I think that's what we're already doing here and through our masterminds and not reinventing things, learning from each other and that whole thing. But I just, all the talk this week was about Not all of it. Some of it was about, um, are we going to be relevant? Are architects going to be relevant in the future and all that? But I feel like we're trained to solve problems and come up with solutions. So I don't know why anybody's worried, honestly, because there will always be new solutions that people need to figure out. And I think for most architects, I mean, I'm only one, but it seems like everybody I know enjoys coming up with these new ideas. I mean, that's the whole point, right? So we're just going to keep doing that. Who knows what those are going to look like? I guess that's the whole point. Like We haven't thought of it yet whatever that innovation is. And if we already knew what it was, it wouldn't be an innovation.
1: This is true. I, I think that's a really great point. Um, now, I do see some people that are worried about it Are you know, they've got the blinders on. It's, I, I think it was Mandy, you earlier were describing, you know, this is the way we've always done it. And there, there are plenty of people that have that mindset. It's the way we've always done it. To me, what, what I hear when they're saying that is, oh, everybody needs to adapt to me. Everybody needs to adapt to my business model. It's just not going to happen that way, right? It's not going to work. Ask, ask Kodak or Blockbuster or you know, pick, <laughs> pick your failed example. Um, so I, I, think, I think that's a really good point, Catherine. That, you know, of course, we're going to solve the problem. My takeaway is we have to identify what the problems are you know that's i said it while we were talking that's the first charge to my students uh, when we embark on the business plan uh, project in in pro practice is look around you you know what's a problem that you see that needs to be solved and that that's literally where that that project starts and then um you know fast forward the semester and they're pitching things like bringing passive house to the middle class and financing passive house for the middle class or creating insurance companies that reward resilience in and sustainability and design, you know, stuff like that. So it's pretty amazing where we can go when we start by simply, I, uh, I don't know about simply identifying, but identifying a very specific problem and, and finding a way to solve that. That's another thing that kind of gives me hope for the future is that you know, like you said, Catherine, that's what we do. That's what we're trained to do. That's what that's what all of architecture school is about. So um I think we just have to focus on the right problems.
5: Absolutely. And I think there's there's a get uh, you could call it different things societal or market shift or a real appetite for people who who get that and want that. I think as a generation, millennials are very information. Based data data driven so they want to sort of ask the questions that are you know they they don't just want to necessarily accept things as they are and you know want to work with professionals who have that sort of design thinking and problem solving ability so yeah i think architecture school really prepared us for the world we live in now if we continue to hopefully for most of (laughs) us with that sort of rigor of inquiry but um I think it's it's looking up in terms of what we can do if we want to engage and we're willing to sort of be a little open and maybe be a little uncomfortable and question where we start from.
3: You know what I would like to see is people share what they're doing more because if we are going to be innovative or we're going to push the boundaries or we're going to do something that saves the client money or makes things more sustainable or something we need to share it we need to stop being so just like inside our bubble get the work done do it well keep our statistics to ourselves but we need to put those stats out there to the world this is why we're this is why you should hire an architect because we're doing all of these great things but I think and I know Jeff that you push this all the time we need to advocate for ourselves by sharing all the good stuff that we're doing that's just basic PR stuff that we should be doing as a profession.
1: That's a good lesson. Some, probably more than one person this week when we when we were talking about what excites you about architecture or the profession right now, I, some people said collaboration, and, and some of that is certainly context and clarity. Right, this community within the Entree architect community and um, and then the broader architect community. You see more collaboration, but you're exactly right. If you don't talk about it, nobody knows about it. And um, <laughs> I used to work with a couple partners. One was very guarded about everything and one was very open about everything. And we had these, uh, you know, you might call them philosophical conversations. I don't think they're philosophical at all, right? The one is, well, we can't, we can't share our secret sauce, And the point is, number one, you don't have a secret sauce. Sorry, there are no secret sauces out there. Uh, There's somebody else that's doing what you're doing. They're working with the builder. They're working with a contractor. You, You don't have a secret sauce. But if you still maintain that you have a secret sauce, let's look at the chef industry. All of these Superstar chefs that are out there, whatever you call them, they all have cookbooks and they all have cooking shows where they tell you what their recipe is and they will demonstrate how to make their recipe. And you will still go, if you're into that kind of thing, you will still go to their restaurant and eat that food because the chef prepared it. And and that's that's that big takeaway. Don't be afraid to share it. That's the only way. That's how people are going to see the value of what you do and the, the solutions that you're creating and all of those things. And if it's good enough, they're still going to come and eat in your restaurant. So I guess maybe, maybe that's my takeaway for today. I don't know. Go cook. <laughs>
2: still, go eat in your restaurant.
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't eat in my restaurant. <laughs> Well, what did you think? Did you hear something in there that you can use in your practice today? If you were so inspired by this conversation that you'd like to watch the entire Context and Clarity Live episode, head on over to the Entree Architect YouTube channel. There's a playlist there that has all of the full Context and Clarity Live episodes. And if you want more of the Context and Clarity podcast delivered to you every week, give us a thumbs up and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts. If you like content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people that care about the built environment, and it's the home of context and clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know you'll find something there that interests you. You can learn more at GableMedia.com. That's G A B L Media.com. And one last thing before you go. If the topic of today's episode is of particular interest to you, join me over on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. That's where every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern, I host Context and Clarity Conversations, and we take topics like this, and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time to try to find more clarity around the things that matter most to you. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community and your practice and how you can support those around you. We'll be back here again next week. And in the meantime, I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern so that we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most, no matter what your context is.